Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Why do you think Jesus came to this earth? What role does Jesus play in your life? What do you think their response would be? You know, sometimes for an interesting thing in a room with a lot of people, just say, I'm glad for Jesus Christ. That'll quiet it down. Because those two words together are offensive to most people. Why? Because they don't understand who Jesus Christ is. As believers, we understand that we're cleansed and forgiven. Our sins have been washed away. We're now new creations in Jesus. No longer are we destined for hell, but now we're promised heaven. Through the promises of God, we're given life and life more abundantly. As we'll learn today, there are others who need to hear this message of hope. There are people who are lost and dying. They need Jesus. They need to know that there is a way. As the servants of God, shouldn't we want to share with them freeing truth of God's word? Shouldn't it be our heart's desire to see them come to salvation? Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 24, with part one of our message entitled, Let the Walls Fall Down. His name is Bill. He has wild hair. He wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans and no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He is brilliant, kind of esoteric, and very, very bright. During those four years of college, he became a Christian. Across the street from the college campus is a well-dressed very conservative church, kind of like Calvary Chapel. (laughs) They want to minister to the college kids, and they're trying to determine how to do it. Well, one day, Bill decided to visit the church. He walks in, no shoes, holy jeans, in his T-shirt, and naturally his wild hair. The service had already started, so Bill is trying to find a seat. He keeps coming farther and farther and farther toward the front. As he gets toward the front, he understands that it's going to be a little difficult because the church is packed. There are no seats left. People are a little uncomfortable because he's, his attention has been grabbed, as he's, his hair especially, as he's walked up. The closer and closer he gets to the pulpit area, the pastor's here. He's wondering what's going to happen. The people are wondering what's going to happen. Bill just folds his legs and sits down on the floor right in front of the pastor. Well, it was normal in college. What's the problem? Now, the people, there's a buzz. They're concerned. They're upset. That had never happened in their church. Nobody had ever come, especially with that kind of dress, to the front and sat on the carpet in front of the pastor. About this time, the minister realizes that the attention has gone from him, and it's gone to this young man, Bill, 
But in the back, out of the corner of his eye, he sees one of the older deacons making his way down the aisle. Now, this deacon is about 80 years old, has silver-gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. The people are shaking their heads. This dignified, very elegant, godly man is going to do the right thing. You can't blame him for what he's going to do. I mean, that's not his generation. You can't expect this man to allow some and understand some college kids sitting barefooted in front of the pulpit. Well, it takes a long time for this deacon to make it because he's got his cane. And all you can hear is this click, click, click as he's coming. The pastor's lost it. There's Nobody's even paying any attention to him. And the people now are totally engrossed in what this man, this deacon, is going to do. It's quiet. Nobody's saying anything. They wonder how the deacon is going to handle it. Well, the deacon gets to the front, and he turns the corner slowly. And he comes over here, and all the tensions there is gone in the pastor. And all of a sudden, the 80-year-old deacon, he lays his cane down. He, with great effort, folds his legs, and he sits next to Bill on the floor. Mm. The pastor knows it's over, so he goes, people are crying. The pastor's emotional. Here the deacon didn't want Bill to feel alone, so identified with him. The pastor says this, what I'm about to preach, you'll never remember. What you just saw, you'll never forget. Bill, prejudice. Could we have prejudice in our Life or in our church? If Bill came down the aisle right now, could he sit down here? Huh? Sure could. Would you be uncomfortable? <laughs> Seven of you wouldn't. The rest of you are having a hard time. Hey, that's what we're going to talk about today. Look at the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 24. You see, the world is filled with prejudice. We don't even think we have it. But often we do. Hostility of one person against another. And this morning you're going to see in our initial passage of Scripture a great hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. But as you'll see as we go through, prejudice is not limited to some cultural racial thing. It can be anywhere, especially churches today, that have grown very adept at putting up walls of prejudice. We're special. We're holy. Good people are here, different people have to go somewhere else because they're not welcome here. The first wall we'll talk about this morning is the wall of prejudice. Look at chapter 7, verse 24. Now Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. Jesus travels 20 miles north from Israel to a Gentile area on the Mediterranean Sea, one of the ports. He goes really to have a rest, to talk to his disciples, to get away from the crowds because everybody is getting to know him in Israel. But when he goes here, he finds out that his reputation has followed him. It says he couldn't keep his presence secret. Everybody knew about him. Verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, 
A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. Well, how did this woman hear about him? Notice it says, as soon as she heard about him, she came. How did she hear about him? How did a woman living in a pagan country hear about Jesus? Well, probably because a traveling merchant had come through Israel and seen Jesus and some of the shops, the word was out, here's this healer, here's this man that does all these miracle things. And this traveling merchant went up to Tyre and Sidon, up in the Mediterranean ports, those seaports, and probably the word spread. And so when Jesus crossed the border, the word began to go through the towns, Jesus is here. And the, you know, the Jesus you heard about, the Jesus you heard about is here. How many people who are hurting in their lives this morning and they're ready to come to Jesus, but they haven't heard about Jesus. They don't have a clue about Jesus. They don't understand who Jesus is. How many in your classroom, at work, in your neighborhood, if you would stop and say to them, why do you think Jesus came to this earth? What role does Jesus play in your life? What do you think their response would be? You know, sometimes for an interesting thing in a room with a lot of people, just say, I'm glad for Jesus Christ. That'll quiet it down. Because those two words together are offensive to most people. Why? Because they don't understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, if we go through our neighborhoods and people don't understand who Jesus Christ is, whose fault is that? Mine. But as soon as this woman heard about him, she came. Because what she heard was good. Verse 26, the woman was a Greek, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So Mark tells us that this woman was a Gentile. This morning in our services, most of us are Gentiles. We have some Messianic Jews that come. But in this day and age, there was a great tension between Jews and Gentiles. You see, the Jews were God's chosen people. You know that, and I know that. You say, well, that's not fair. That doesn't matter. It was God. That was God chose his people, and they were the Jews. The Jews knew that they were that, and they had an idea about the Gentiles. In fact, the Gentiles to the Jews were mongrel, heathen dogs. Feel good, don't you? They were dogs. When it gets cold here, and you, if you happen to have a fireplace, you get out in Home Depot or Publix or whatever, and they have these little piles of wood you can buy for five bucks or whatever, and take them home and put them in your furnace, fireplace. That's what Gentiles were for. The Jews actually said they were used to stoke the fires of hell. Could that cause a little problem between a... A Jew and a Gentile, yes. Well, if the Jews looked at the Gentiles that way, you can imagine that the Gentiles didn't have these warm fuzzies for the Jews either. So there was great tension. So here's Jesus in an area of Gentiles. He's Jewish. And this woman comes. Immediately, there's two walls of prejudice that go up. This wall, and this morning we'll picture this is the need. And behind this need is Jesus who is going to meet the need. But she can't get to Jesus because of the walls. The first wall we've already talked about is nationality. Jesus is Jewish. She's Gentile. He knows what she thinks. At least she thinks she does. The second one is the wall of gender. In those days, a woman had very little rights. 
Nobody thought of them very much. Nobody had much respect for them. And that was just it. So here's this woman. She comes boldly to Jesus. She goes down and tears down these first two walls. She doesn't care. Why? Because see, when your children are hurting, you'll do just about anything to get to Jesus. And that's what she does. She comes down and tears, ignores these walls down, just knocks them down. She comes begging for a miracle. The word in the Greek means keeps begging, keeps repeating. She keeps saying, heal my daughter, have mercy on my daughter. Now, Matthew gives us another view of this, the same story. But he says, when she comes to Jesus... And she's begging for this. She, she's ignored the other two prejudice walls. She's coming. She's begging. It says that Jesus does this. He says absolutely nothing to her. How would that make you feel? See, it's a little hard for us to say, you mean she came begging for a healing for her daughter and Jesus? The mild-mannered, the gentle, the healer says nothing. He actually ignores her. It's exactly right. Now you say, how do you reconcile that? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. So the woman goes, well, he's not going to respond to me. So Matthew says that she turns to the disciples and says, tell your master to heal my daughter. Well, here's another wall that goes up. The wall of uncaring people. Because as she presents her need to the disciples, here's what the disciples say in the book of Matthew. Jesus, send her away. She's bugging me. That's my translation. They said, send her away. We don't want her around here. Get her out of here. So this lady is facing four walls. The wall of gender, the wall of nationality, the wall of uncaring people, and maybe even possibly the wall of uncaring Jesus, who's silent. But she goes through these walls, and Jesus does not agree with his disciples. He doesn't get rid of her, but he's going to give her a parable and explain to her why he's silent. Let's take a look at the parable. Verse 27, Jesus says, first, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, let's talk about the characters here so you'll understand the parable. The children at the table being fed. The children represent two groups. They represent the disciples that Jesus is teaching And in a broader sense, they represent all the children of Israel. All the children of Israel. The bread that's being fed at the table represents Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the healing ministry of Jesus, the benefits of Jesus, the blessing of Jesus. And in our story here, the dogs would represent who? The Gentiles. The advantage to this story is this, that the dogs used here is a different word than the dog for a mongrel, for the wild dog that's out in the neighborhood. This dog, the Greek means kunarion, which says this, this is a little dog, a house pet, one that's gentle to your heart and somebody you love, you know, the little puppy in your home. So what Jesus is saying through this parable is, the reason I've remained quiet is I have some priorities in my life. So notice, look at the verse again. He says, first. So in other words, there's, there's some priorities. First, then other things are going to happen. But first, he says, I came to feed the children, which are who? My disciples and the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. So what he's really saying is there, 
I've come to this house in your pagan area to get away from the crowd so I could teach. We're going to sit at the table and I'm going to teach my disciples first. That's a priority to me. My priority was not to come and minister to you. My second priority is that not only am I going to teach the disciples, but I, the Messiah, came for the Jewish nation as a whole. Now, some of us that are Gentiles have a little trouble with that, but that's biblical. Jesus came a couple times in the book of Matthew. He says, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was Jesus' main ministry was to Jewish people. Now we find out, and we talked about it last uh, Sunday night, even in our Bible study, in the Old Testament, we talked about that when the feast was put on, many Jews wouldn't come to the feast. They didn't recognize Jesus Christ. They didn't want to come. So then Jesus finally says, as the master of this parable, go out to the highways and byways and bring anybody in. Anybody. And who was anybody? It was us. But see, we weren't the first thing. So there was a priority. Jesus came to teach his disciples, to minister to the land of Israel, to those people. And then when they accepted the Messiah, they were going to be used as Jews to do what? Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, to what? Spread the good news to who? To the whole world. So there was a priority. What he's saying to Jesus, Jesus was saying to this lady is, you don't understand. There's a priority here. And my priority is not Gentiles. My priority isn't in your daughter. Now my priority is to do the things that God sent me to do. Verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What is really interesting to me is this. When Jesus gave parables, the disciples never got them. Here's a pagan woman doesn't know anything, and she gets the parable first time. The disciples should have went, duh. And she said, let me explain the parable. You want to understand the parable? Let me explain the parable to you. Now, what does she say? I believe it's interesting. God has a great sense of humor. What this lady is saying is, there's pets under the table. How many know where pets are? How many have those little pets? We have a little dog, Pippin. God's got a great sense of humor. When I got through the surgery and came home, whatever, the dog had to go to the doctor. She hadn't been in years, so she went and got her tests and physical and all that stuff that she had to get, and she had an infection. She came home, my wife gave me this news, and I just died laughing. She said, the doctor says her cholesterol is too high, she has to go on a low-fat diet. <laughs> God's got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? So in those days, what is Jesus talking about? They would set this table, they'd recline at the table, they'd eat. They didn't have forks and knives like we do. They were their hands with bread. They dipped it in and whatever. So when you're dipping stuff and then, you know, where's all this stuff going? Those of you that have little children, where does it go? You know where it goes. Those of you that have children that don't like what's on their plate, where does it go? If there's a dog nearby, guess what? They're there. So this lady says, I understand the principle that the first people that are supposed to be fed are the ones sitting at the table. But she says, really? I mean, in everyday life. There are a crumb or two that get dropped, some even purposely. And the dogs enjoy it. It's good food. And she says, I understand your priority. You came for the Jews. You came for your disciples. Our time, the Gentiles, hasn't come yet. It will come, but it's not yet. But all I want is a little crumb. I just need one miracle. This woman is bold. This woman is very perceptive. And she takes this principle and, and really just blows it out of the water. And she's just saying, can you help me? Can you help me? I just want one touch of the, the master's hand. 
Well, how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Matthew says, your request was made with great faith. In other words, Jesus, as he watches this lady who had the wall of nationality, the wall of gender, the wall of uncaring people, the wall of a parable that really said, wait, and yet she kept saying, okay, I understand it, but I know, I know you have it in you to, to just take a moment and minister to it. All the walls came down. Why? Because of great faith. Now, what is great faith made of? There's two things I believe you see here in this story. First of all, great faith is humble faith. She knew what she wanted. She knew that Jesus could meet her need. So how did she come to Jesus? She came empty-handed. She didn't have anything to offer. She didn't have any money to offer. She didn't have any dish. She didn't know anything about that. She just came empty-handed. But she came with great faith, knowing she didn't deserve his mercy. And yet, she was going to ask for it. Dio Moody says this, Jesus sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. How do you come to God? Well, God, you know, when I came to you, I mean, you got the greatest deal in the world. What a catch I was. In fact, God, I'm not sure how you ran your kingdom before I came. Because I'm so good. Is that the way we came? Not a chance. What did you have to offer God when you came? Nada. Well, not really. You had lots. You know what it was? Your sin. You see, there isn't anything good that you could bring to God. Everything that we bring to God is useless. The scripture says it's filthy rags. It means nothing. Don't come to God with your pride as if you're worth something, a big catch. You're not. You were just like this lady. This lady came humbly to God. When you request something from God, ask humbly. God, I know I don't deserve this. I know there's a wall in my life in front of me. I know I don't even deserve your mercy, but, but I come and humbly ask for it because I'm your child. And I know you love to give good gifts to your children. Now, the ironic thing is she not only comes humbly, but she comes kind of aggressively with persistent faith. See, that's kind of almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Humbly and yet aggressively with persistent faith. She had faith which resulted in action. James tells us that faith without works is dead. So she acts upon her faith in spite of the walls. If your faith this morning doesn't lead you to action, you're fooling yourself. Real faith always leads to action. So scripture over and over again exhorts us to be persistent with God. We are exhorted to pray, to keep praying, to knock, to keep knocking, to seek, to keep seeking, to ask, to keep asking. And she does this. She brings nothing, but she's persistent. Now, persistent doesn't mean demanding. You will heal my daughter. You don't see that. She just humbly continues to ask God for His grace and for His mercy. In today's lesson, we learned what great faith looks like. Pastor Mark shared with us that great faith is humble faith. It's realizing that God is God and we're not. It's understanding that He's in control. It's trusting in His guidance and direction. 
But where does this faith even come from? Well, the scriptures teach us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the very word of God. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark will explain to us the importance of prayer. You see, prayer is one of the best ways to communicate with our Heavenly Father. It's an essential part of our Christian life. It's how we talk to Him and listen for His voice. We'll also learn that intercessory prayer is still necessary today. As God leads, we should remember one another in our prayers. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.